0: For a noticeably smooth shave, join Dollar Shave Club today. The Dollar Shave Club starter set includes razors, prep scrub, shave butter, and post-shave dew. All just for $9 on your first box. That right, just $9! I mean, it's hard for me to believe. And the best part? Your box gets delivered straight to your door with free shipping. See why millions trust Dollar Shave Club for all their shaving and grooming needs? Get shaving and grooming products when you need it. Don't wait! get the ultimate shave starter set from Dollar Shave Club today for just $9. I mean Chris, that's less than $10 this offer is limited to US residents only, just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash fwcars that's dollarshaveclub.com slash fwcars Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 333, which means we're a third of the way to a thousand, almost, of the Fun With Cars Motorsports podcast, or episode 20 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who, at the moment, owns a more reliable car than I do, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris.
1: <laughs> Hello, Robin. Yeah, what happened? Which car were you <laughs> in?
0: My car, which is an Audi, which is a Volkswagen product which is tied to Porsche and Lamborghini and Bentley and Ducati Uh and Seat. And uh, what's the Czech brand? It always slips. Skoda. Skoda. Thank you. And and on and on. Oh, and man trucks. There's a few more, I'm sure. Anyway, it decided that uh, its cooling system has had a failure. Um, I opened the hood and I saw no such failure. I didn't see any cracked hoses or you know empty overflow tanks or anything like that and the engine didn't feel particularly hot but um it, it was quite insistent about it so that car is now resting comfortably at a trusted service dealer service center and uh, i am awaiting their diagnosis
1: yeah well there you go land rovers are available
0: <laughs> yes yes and uh, i i The last time I had a Land Rover, it spent a lot of time at that very same service shop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not really the car, it's the owner I find.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is Wednesday morning for another five minutes, and Chris and I are going to talk about the British Grand Prix, and I have a cup of hot tea with milk on the ready to sip as we discuss, because yes, hot tea is also delicious. Uh, Chris, do you have any news? There's some news, Robin. We
1: have uh, Alpine la- launching the Race Her program, so there's a path to Formula One for female drivers. This, and also they, they added
0: an H to racer and are blowing everyone's minds. It is a, a very clever
1: name, um, and they also intend to increase the number of female engineers they have on staff. So they're uh, they're planning to implement this strategy immediately. So fifty fifty. Uh, Male female ratio for recruitment for trainees and graduate recruits, um, and uh, their goal is to be have thirty percent of their engineering staff female by twenty twenty seven. Um, they also plan to to add a pathway for female go carters from F four uh, all the way to F one. So uh, pretty cool initiative, I think.
0: Something tells me that F three and F two are involved there. Um- you know, uh, Well, it maybe depends the, how good
1: they are, right? I mean, you're right. It, traditionally, it would be F3, F2 to F1, but you never know. There might be the the next uh, Louise Hamilton out there that could uh, just jump it in one one fell swoop.
0: I <laughs> uh, see. I was going to go. I would say Lois Hamilton, but yeah, I, I I like it. Yeah. Um, what it's? I, I'm really I'm fascinated by this because so it's Alpine specifically that's doing this. So it's a team effort, not a sanctioning body or, or management of the series effort. Um, and this is separate entirely from like, the W Series and things like this?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's Alpine's initiative. It's got nothing to do with uh, what Mercedes have been doing to increase the diversity of their uh, employment makeup. Um, and it's nothing to do with the W Series either. So it's, it's, an, Alpine, uh, it's an Alpine effort.
0: There is this weird double-edged sword to it, though, because I remember it was um, uh, Susie Wolf. Susie Wolf's uh, was on Beyond the Grid several weeks ago now and was discussing about how it was some, I think it was like an international carding championship and how she won some fastest female of the year kind of champion or something like championship. And she was pretty disgusted by it. It's like, well, I was eighth in the race. So that's not anything in particularly triumphant about that, so I don't understand this. So what I'm getting at is there is and i, I oh, another great example. Uh, I've interviewed Catherine Legg several times, and she she's been very you know whenever anyone asks her this, I've asked her once, it's like, look it, it I, you know, I just am a woman. It has no bearing on anything ever. I just, I just am a woman and I'm trying to raise. So when you specifically call it out, is that, do you see what I'm getting at? I mean, in the engineering world, you just get hired for a position. It's not going to be like, oh, you're the female aerodynamic lead. At least I certainly hope not. But like, how are they going to just, because it just should just be part of normal culture. You hire the best person. And just as, as statistics would tell us, that would be roughly half men, half women.
1: Yeah, I know, I know what you're getting at. I, uh, you know, if you, talk, if you look at people's views to the W Series, there are a lot of people who are conflicted about it. Um, I, I think the reality is uh, motorsport is still a male-dominated sport. You know, that's been the case for, what, more than 100 years now. So unless there's some efforts made to try and uh, entice, encourage women to enter the sport, whether that's from the engineering or the racing side, I, I think it'll... Continue as it is, um,
0: right? And, right. Kind of get the know, momentum going in the right direction.
1: That's right. And yeah, I think if you look at someone like Jamie Chadwick, who won the W Series race uh, at Silverstone over the weekend, and who's having a very successful season. I think she's won every round so far. Um, and, and well, and
0: she won it. She won it last time. Uh, well, not last time. Last time she was in it, I believe. Which was twenty well, nineteen.
1: She's, she's a double. W Series champion, right? So she yeah. she won it the first year, she defended it and she's back for more. Uh, so she's clearly the best of of the female racers in the W Series. Um, and I think, you know, she's a Williams development driver. And so then the yep, question is, how to, you know, she's obviously talented. So the next step is to be competitive and race against, uh, you know, men in, in other series. And I think she was looking for the right team, right opportunity, because we know that uh, it's not just about getting into F2 or F3. You have to go in with with uh, a team that has a track record of success in that series, right? So um, finding that seat, getting that seat, getting the budget to to pay for that seat is is key. So I think she's looking for the right opportunity to demonstrate her capability up against um, you know men of her age and and you know, hopefully continue to climb the ladder. So. Again, I think initiatives to help people like her open those doors and get those opportunities can only be uh, commended.
0: Yeah, I, and I and I totally agree. And you know, we've had examples uh, in our history: um, uh, Lynn St. James, um, Sarah Fisher, uh, Catherine Leg. Uh, I'll mention her again. She's still racing now, but she's been she's been at it for a while. Obviously, people know about Danica Patrick. It's just getting people used to the idea that it it shouldn't have anything to do with gender one way or the other. It should just be talent. And I think what Alpine is trying to address and what you're getting at is that there is just kind of this like inherent perceived assumed there's a gender assignment very early age. So people just don't even take them seriously regardless of talent. So it's trying to break through that wall. So people start getting used to it. So it can be, Normalized and it's just a non-issue.
1: Yeah, that's right. And to your earlier point, obviously you don't want to be hiring um, people who are not competent and capable, or you know leading their field, because otherwise Alpine's competitiveness would suffer. So I'm sure that their standards and requirements won't won't be diminished, but um, they will maybe strive harder to uh, to look at those female candidates that are well qualified. you know, and and give them maybe an, a, a greater opportunity than they have done in the past. So there were a lot of upgrades at Silverstone. I think uh, five teams brought upgrades: Williams, Mercedes, Alpine, Red Bull, and uh, Aston Martin. And um, so, you know, there were some significant ones too. I mean, the Williams sidepod design for Alex Albon was was dramatically different from what they've been running up until now with a much uh, longer tapered side pod that was a little bit reminiscent to what Red Bull have been running. Uh, Alpine have adopted the the Valley pod, similar to the Ferrari. Um, so uh, um, they've decided to go down the Ferrari design route uh, for their side pod strategy. And then Mercedes also brought some upgrades, front suspension, floor and rear wing. Um, so lots going on at Silverstone. And uh, it led to a very interesting and competitive Race weekend.
0: I think the rear wing was the most easy to see. Yeah. uh, In terms of Mercedes changes. And it's really difficult with Mercedes because obviously we'll get into this more. Mercedes performance, it did seem improved here. And yet, this is also a smooth high speed track, which is already caters to Mercedes strengths. So I don't know how you look at those improvements.
1: Well, I think you look at it with the stopwatch. Hamilton set the fastest lap, and he was he led he led laps on merit, and he was uh, you know in the hunt for the win.
0: So that's I, how I thought he was do- just trying to get away from all that warm beer.
1: Oh yeah, got it in there, <laughs> snuck it in. Um, but yeah, let's get on to that in a minute. But I, I certainly think that. The know, warm beer. You want to
0: that. talk more about that?
1: <laughs> made a step in the right direction. Um, should we touch on qualifying? Wet, good old wet summer's day in uh, Northamptonshire. Um, we had. Well, um, but
0: before we talk about wet qualifying, there's some mm. other things that should be wet and dried and soaped in between, don't you think? <laughs> And for guys, there's some important parts right in the middle that really deserve more care than a bar of soap. Oh, I am so good at segues. I love this. For this critical cleaning and grooming, the folks at Ballsy are here to help. A one-stop shop for all your fiddly bits. Ballsy carries trimmers, as well as aptly named ball wash, sack, spray, and more. And worry not, Ballsy is made from the good stuff. Essential oils and plant extracts. No sulfates, parabens, synthetic dyes, and of course... No testing on animals. And it's made right here. Right here being the United States. But perhaps you're not sure where to start. All good. All you need to do is go to BallWash.com, scroll down, and take the quiz and get a customized system tailored to your personal needs. Or just grab what's called the Sack Pack. I try fecta of products to keep it all neat and tidy. Doesn't matter if you're shopping for yourself or an unkempt loved one. Because Ballsy also sells a wide variety of gift sets to fit your needs and budget. With over 200,000 satisfied customers and a 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got to give Ballsy a try. And Chris, I have to tell you, I don't know why I continue to feel the need to tell you, but I I just do. I've tried and loved the two-headed trimmer from Ballsy, and i got to admit, it's kind of fun to have products catered to my private privates. And my private privates are very private, Chris, like... I don't, I don't even like talking about them. Like, I'm breaking rules to talk about them right now. That's how private. To join in on the fun, but, you know, like, on your own, go to ballwash.com slash FWCars and put in a promo code FWCars. You'll receive 20% off your order of $50 or more. That is 20% off when you go to ballwash.com slash FWCARS and put in the promo code FWCARS. Do it! So but anyway, yes, it qualified. wasn't what qualified, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: so back to qualifying. I, th- I thought uh, it was fascinating Where, Where's how... your
0: snappy segue? I want a snappy segue. Um, so Albon made a balls of it uh, in qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit on the nose, Chris. <laughs> so despite... Let's <laughs> try... So, uh, did anybody have to fiddle with their, uh, with their uh, uh, wingy bits? <laughs> oh, God, crazy. <laughs> oh, this is going to get better and better. Okay, some, some,
1: some drivers had an early shower after being dumped out in Q1. How about oh, that one? Ooh,
0: there it is. I like that one.
1: All right, so the Haas drivers had a particularly terrible Saturday, as did the Aston Martin boys. And, disappointingly, so did Alex. So, despite his new upgraded Williams, um, they they couldn't get a, a lap together. He was very uh, unhappy about being asked to do cool-down laps uh, rather than just, you know, running for it uh, con- continuously. And, um, yeah, got dumped out.
0: Let's talk about Aston just a little bit more because weren't they once again promising on Friday?
1: Uh, th- there were lots of teams promising on Friday. Uh, as we all know, it's kind of... Those times are always hard to interpret, aren't they? Because people are running... Different uh, different fuel loads. They're doing experimental parts. You, you c- it's not always uh, possible to to get the competitive order from Friday running. And Aston Martin do you like to uh, flatter to deceive, or deceive to flatter, or however you want to say that.
0: Yes, yes, they they. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they they like to uh, show off in the right places to the right people at the right times, but. Sebastian Vettel got some extra laps in, and I thought that would have helped him out.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. If you haven't checked out the video, the sound of the FW14B. Oh, my goodness. It's just extraordinary. I've forgotten how wonderful the Renault V10 sounded.
0: Um, And we've talked about this car like two or three episodes in a row now, all for different reasons, and all for very
1: good reasons. We could talk about it every podcast, as fast as absolutely.
0: I'm <laughs> that thing is just magic, and it, and so you, you mentioned the sound right off the bat, and that's exactly right. Um, and that was running what uh, Vettel claimed was a sustainable fuel. That was not your standard petrol. That was so that engine had been modified to run a different fuel. That is a renewable, sustainable fuel, theoretically at least.
1: Yeah, that's right. But I just, I love the fact that that Seb's car, uh, that he bought it because it had a red five on the nose and uh, he, he's very much associated with his own number five. And um, yeah, I mean, Mansell was there over the weekend in the Ferrari uh, garage, but uh, it was Seb doing the laps. He didn't seem to be quite on Mansell's pace back from 92 when he qualified <laughs> uh, his teammate by 1.9 seconds, but he was, he was given a good show for the fans that were there.
0: Yeah, I mean, but just as you said, I mean, it's definitely, it's worth watch, worth it. And it was because it was the 30th anniversary of that car's uh, win and uh, indeed Mansell's championship. So uh, it, it was just a, a great place to do something of sorts. And, and he did it in front of a record crowd at the British Grand Prix. Yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, while we while we continue the uh, theme with Williams here, let's talk about Latifi. I mean, we've been pretty damning of Latifi's performances in 2022, but he was great at the British Grand Prix on Saturday. Uh, I you know, always
0: getting- defend Canadians. You never give me the chance. You never listen, <laughs> but I'm always telling you how good Canadians are.
1: Okay. Uh, so definitely, <laughs> he, he's probably realized that he's going to be dumped at the end of the season unless he pulls his finger out. But, you know, Qualifying was tricky. It was Inters all the way through, um, and he outqualified uh, a lot of good drivers. And fair play to him for an excellent performance on Saturday. So maybe there is hope. Well, for I him. mean, he
0: outqualified Albon as a for instance. Well, that's right. But he also, you know,
1: Gasly, Botas, Sonoda, Ricardo, Ocon. You know that those are some some uh, decent names in decent cars. So you know, he, he finished uh, last in Q3, but. You know, very yeah, amazing effort to get there in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, he he got to Q3. I mean, that's really, for Latifi, that is really something.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I thought it was interesting how the battle for Paul played out. I, uh, you know, it looked like there were a number of drivers in the mix. Um, but there were some, some drivers that, you know, let's take Max Verstappen. I mean, Verstappen's performance in Canada, as we, as we described in our last podcast, was... Was uh, phenomenal. I mean, he just always looked completely in control. He never seemed to have any moments. He was uh, he outqualified the rest of the field by by some margin. But at Silverstone, he was struggling. I mean, he had a number of spins and moments. Was uh, really really finding it hard to put a good lap in. And so was Charles Leclerc. So our you know our two championship uh, contenders really, because I think we'll exclude Perez for the time being, were struggling. <laughs> And um, you know, and that left the door open for none other than Carlos Sainz to slip in there and actually get a really good pole lap for for once.
0: Yeah, really good pole lap. Um, I I I think that he was strong, and he, you know, he seemed to in the past races it, he tended to have really strong Q one and Q two performances, and then Q three he'd struggle. This time around, it seemed like he was he was stronger in Q3, generally speaking. It's a little bit harder to say because we had the wet and drying weather, so it wasn't quite apples to apples. Not everyone was dealing with the same grip levels at the same time. But, I mean, that's always the case to a certain extent, but to a higher degree this time around. But it seemed like he was just mentally stronger than he had been in Q3.
1: Yeah, he's oftentimes just not quite nailed it. Uh, when it really matters and um this time this time he did the best job you can't argue with it and um and it set him up for a, a you know for his opportunity on sunday i thought uh, mercedes were really you know i really thought lewis was gonna was gonna do something pretty exciting and he, he didn't quite get it get it done and, and i thought fifth and eighth were were not really you know good enough for either hamilton or russell um Lewis was complaining that uh, they wanted to leave it to the, the, the last possible second. Uh, so he was recharging uh, the battery and it turned out that the last lap was wetter and so he, he couldn't set a quicker time. But, you know, there were moments during Q3 where he looked like he was really in the hunt for pole position, but uh, but he didn't quite get it right. So that was that was disappointing. But then, you know, Norris and Alonso, um, you know, were also up there. Um, best of the Uh, the Norris was back
0: in the form that we started to expect from him yep and that we hadn't seen the last two or three Grand Prix and I think the most disappointed to see that was uh, Daniel Ricciardo who once again by comparison did not look did not look there
1: no he didn't Um, but Alonso's strong form has you know continued from Canada here in Britain and uh, yeah don't good qualifying he, he featured in the races. we'll talk about shortly so so yeah strong performance from both of them but then of course uh, Joe had a good qualifying getting ninth and, and qualifying his more illustrious teammate
0: yeah exactly right you know and being the one to kind of lead the hey we're still in the thick of this Alfa Romeo fight so uh, definitely definitely a good point and um, you know I was uh, I was fascinating to see all the hoopla about Mercedes upgrades—I was fascinated to see where they fell. But then, at the same time, just as you kind of talked about with Hamilton, I talked it up to, well, with wet qualifying, that's not really—it's not clear to see where true performance of these cars lies and how much of it was luck and wet weather skill and you know timing, particular uh, parts of the of the driving. So um, it was interesting to see, but that did lead us to. A very interesting race, and uh, we have to start with what delayed the race after the first few hundred meters by a good 45 minutes. And that was the—it was actually—they were both tied together, of course, but it was actually ended up being kind of two separate incidents, each involving three cars, I believe. Um, But the scariest one, of course, being uh, Zhao getting hit and ending up on his lid— heading towards the wall
1: yeah so we had um, him and Russell both making fairly slow starts uh, and Gasly tried to go in between them um, but the, the gap was uh, diminishing and he
0: was that fair t- by Gasly or was that a bit was that being a bit optimistic well one of the
1: Williams I think wasn't it Latifi had snuck through the gap already so I guess he, he felt it was fair game but uh, but yeah, I think as they were getting closer to turn one, it was always expected that Russell would would try and and move left for, to take the racing line. But um, you want to maximize
0: your radius, of course, right? Yeah, I mean and, it's a racing yeah.
1: incident, isn't it? I mean it's happened many times. It was just uh, unusual in how dramatic the uh, the result was because you know Gasly contacted Russell's left rear and that spun him into into Joe who who then flipped and was then inverted, running into the gravel trap, and that caused a barrel roll that launched him over the tyre wall, um, and then he bounced off the catch fencing and landed between the fence and the wall. So it was, uh, on, on the on the side, uh, the vehicle was re- came to rest on its side. So it was an absolutely amazing, dramatic incident. Of course, uh, uh, Russell was stopped. He had a puncture, um, got out to, to check on him, actually. It was quite a lot of... Um, clips and, and photographs showing russell trying to get uh, direct some of the marshals which was very nice to see um
0: uh, R- russell was just a stand-up person like let, not racing driver not not uh pr not he just he was just being a good human being during that instant i think
1: absolutely um unfortunately it cost him his race because the marshals were too efficient of yeah, I
0: I do want to <laughs> talk about that more in a moment because that, that is a that is an interest that's a bizarre set of circumstances all on its own. But um I, I did I, I when I when when we did see that the scariest part about it all was there was a delay in any kind of radio transmission, any kind of racing replay. So everyone, T V watchers, folks watching live, et cetera, et cetera, were there was a good fifteen minutes where it was unknown of Zhao's condition, and you know, you do, it's unavoidable to start to worry. But when we did finally get a chance to see the the replay, the footage, none of the hits that Zhao uh, took seemed very hard. It, he, he was bounced around a bot, but I, I didn't see anything that was probably, I don't know, over 10, 15G. But then the scary part for me, looking at where he landed and how he landed, we're extremely lucky nothing got hot and caught fire that would have been extremely bad
1: absolutely it seems a bit odd that there should be a car sized gap between the tire wall and the catch fencing at least when it's on its side because you're right if there'd been a fire extrication would have been hugely challenging um so they might want to rethink that barrier layout for um, future grand prix um, yeah, it's, the lot was made of the halo. I mean, I think we all recognize now the the value that that provides in, in top level single seater racing and, you know, it proved its worth again, um, this time it was weird how the, the gravel trap just caused the car to pitch and, and, and flip like that. I've not seen that too often.
0: Yeah, um, that was, that was kooky. I it, just how quickly, how quickly that, I mean, it all happened very quickly. So it had to be a combination of how the air was traveling over the car, the way the way he was contacted, and the surface change. It 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 certainly. It, you don't look at it and say, "Oh yeah, that's predictable. That's logical. That's how that would happen." <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And then you
1: know, as you mentioned earlier, at the same time, um, we had poor old Alex Albon get caught up in um, in in the efforts to avoid this crash so what happened i think was botas braked heavily so albon had to brake because he had nowhere to go and uh, vettel ran into the back of albon and pitched him into the pit wall uh and he then spun across the track and got hit by i think at least one or two of the cars what's remarkable yeah. about all of that was it was only albon that that retired on the spot because uh everyone else you know people like gasly were able to take the restart um so you, you only had three retirees, which was uh, you know Joe Albon and Russell, um, and everyone else took took the restart. So it was amazing that we only lost three cars. But poor old Alex got absolutely bashed around there, and uh, and he he like Joe went to went to the hospital uh, for a checkup. Fortunately, both are fine, and, and they will be in Austria this weekend. So that's great news. But
0: uh, but um, Albon did he took he took the biggest impact. His his G impact was a lot heavier than Zao's. Uh, Ultimately. yeah, I can believe that, yeah. Let's talk about that Russell incident a little bit. He got out of his car without hesitation to go check on Zhao, see if there was anything he could do. I do believe he also uh, went to Albon's car to make sure he was okay. He went to another car. And then he specifically asked the... uh, Oh, and then he got back in his car, but he couldn't get it to fire. So he... Ran to the pits because it was, you know, it was turn one effectively where all this happened. So he ran to the pits to ask the team, hey, how do you restart this thing? And before he ran to the pits, he specifically told the corner workers, don't touch the car. But by the time he got back, it was already on the flatbed. So part of me is like, well, of course, a corner worker is going to get the car off the track that's what corner workers are there to do they know exactly what they're there to do and they know the faster they do it the better but if a driver specifically asks you not to do it and the driver does indeed come back like it it's just a bizarre set of circumstances yeah
1: yeah it's very odd um because if he'd managed to limp around he would have they would have been able to make make some repairs and let him Start, And you, you would think it's in F1's interest to have as many of the runners and riders actually starting the restart as possible. Um, and, of course, there have to be limits to what can be done during a red flag. But, the, you know, to me, re- replacement wheel and tire should be fairly straightforward. Um, yes, well, I it's a mean, shame. It, and
0: it, it, other people it, were getting suspension components changed. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah
1: yeah it was an unfortunate one for George. It's ended his spectacular run of fifth place finishes uh this season or higher. Um, but uh, all good things come to an end. I mean, you know it, it was a shame he, he uh, his good human instinct kicked in. Um, it wasn't repaid but uh, but yeah it's a bit of a bit of a weird one that one um, I did well, also be, find it
0: I'll be the cautious the optimistic one and say it wasn't repaid yet. Hopefully hopefully, time still will set things right. It was
1: also a little frustrating how they reordered the cars for the restart because Lewis had made oh, a great completely, start. Completely, completely. Yeah, jumped up to third place um, before the red flew and then was, was shuffled back to his starting position of fifth, which I didn't understand that. I guess there's a, there's a rule that uh, that demands that the cars have to have completed a certain amount of the lap, but that seems really They were saying really the hard.
0: second the second uh, safety car line I think is how it was described but I'm thinking to myself just practically speaking everyone knew where everyone was there were loads of cameras getting loads of angles there were no questions here it, it, it just seems like an archaic rule that just looks absolutely silly in today's, uh, today's era of technology we, yeah, we I know agree where more. every car is at every moment we yep. Don't need, yeah,
1: yeah. So that was that was that seemed a little bit absurd, penalizing the drivers that had made a good initial start. Um, uh, there wasn't funny, a lot though. Of f- Carlos Sainz f- f- didn't
0: it. seem to <laughs> complain too much. I was, it was fascinating, yes.
1: Um, but the we got the, we got the restart anyway, and uh, and there was some great battling, wasn't there? And and some contact amongst the, the top uh, four runners we had, um. The red ball's coming off uh, pretty badly with Perez breaking his wing uh, with a bit of contact with Charles Leclerc. That uh, also cost the Ferrari driver a little bit of um, his front wing, which is how he's raced to a certain degree.
0: The end plate of his front wing on uh, the right side, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And then Carlos, I think, was the only one to sort of escape with no damage because uh, Verstappen... Um, not, not from the opening laps, but subsequently um, ran over some debris, damaging his floor. So you basically had three of the top four runners all, all affected fairly early in the race, uh, with Verstappen particularly struggling uh, with a big loss of downforce. So uh, that basically killed his race and ruled him out of the running. And, and we, we settled into a battle, really, between the two Ferraris and Lewis Hamilton, which was uh, surprising.
0: Yeah, this was this is what I think a lot of us were hoping to see a resurgent Lewis Hamilton, especially at the British Grand Prix of all events, and he he not only was he towards the front again, it wasn't the top teams Mercedes after a gap and then another gap to the rest of it. This was this was Mercedes in the thick of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lewis wasn't helped by by um, getting a, a losing a place to Norris early on, which took him a couple of laps uh, to rectify, and it cost him a few seconds um, and dropped him back from the Ferraris. But then his pace seemed to be be very good on the hard tire. Uh, sorry, on the uh, medium compound tire that he started on, and he was able to run a lot longer than both Ferraris uh, before he changed to the hard compound tire and. You know, prior to that change, he led some laps on merit and um, it looked like um, was going to be with his tyre offset, you know, fighting it out for the win towards the end of the Grand Prix. Unfortunately, we never got there because uh, we had Ocon. Um, have a failure with his Alpine um, and stopped out on track that, that necessitated a safety car and that really got the cat amongst the pigeons both with Ferrari decisions on who to pit and, and, and gave uh, Perez uh, a new lease of life so what did you make of the decision by Ferrari not to pit Charles from from the lead of the race? Uh,
0: boy, I mean, it was not it was several seconds in between the the safety car being called and when Leclerc went by pit entry, but especially after what happened in Monaco, that takes away a lot of my patience for that. It seemed like had Ferrari been on top of it, as Ferrari should be on top of it, considering that they're the one of the big teams, longest running team, et cetera, et cetera, all the history. Why they couldn't pit both, double stack the pits. And uh, have it handled that—that's complexing to me. And I think that uh, Leclerc was finally reaching his patient limits, and he was just—you know—he's always so good at being a team player, but you could tell he was starting to. It was there were fissures in that barrier.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was already frustrated because there'd been a couple of moments earlier in the race where he was clearly had more pace than Carlos. Um, but Carlos wasn't wasn't giving up the position uh, until you know explicitly directed to do so. So Charles lost some time, stuck behind Carlos earlier in the in the race, and then uh, you know Ferrari made a claim that it was important for Charles to keep track position. But in reality, he was always going to be a sitting duck uh, with a full safety car when everyone behind him was going to be on brand new set of softs. Um, And he was on, you know, fairly worn, hard compound tyres. So it it was an odd one. And, you know, it's an an open goal. You've got the championship leader, Max Verstappen, struggling way down the order, not going to score many points. Uh, you got a chance to really claw some of that back by getting your lead driver Charles to 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 win, and you would have thought that Ferrari, I mean, you know, at least they got the win this time. But you would have thought Ferrari would have orchestrated it to, to favor Charles, but they didn't seem to. In fact, it looked like the reverse that they were favoring Carlos, and and it's you know you wonder if this is yet another mistake that's going to be the nail in the coffin to Charles's hopes of of lifting the crown this year because you can't keep you know making these awful decisions and costing a driver multiple points every time and hope to to be able to take on the likes of max and red bull
0: i i mean my my gut is telling me that ferrari just made a mistake that they didn't react fast enough to the safety car and what they could have done i don't think they purposefully left him out for track of, because that makes zero sense under a safety car that's that's silly logic in my in my view um And then there was this like odd little moment towards the end of that safety car where they were trying to get Carlos Sainz to back away from Carlos, to back away from Charles to give him several car lengths of an advantage when the restart happens and to function like a blocker. And I think completely rightfully so, Carlos said, no, why would I do that? Why would I compromise my race that much just to give him a few car links, that makes no sense at all. I think I think Carlos was entirely right about that moment. And I, I don't think Ferrari favoured Carlos so much as they didn't favour Leclerc, but then also made the mistake, and I'm just that's my opinion, it's just they made the mistake not to pit them both when they could have.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, to the point about losing track position, so let's say they had pitted Charles and double-stacked him with Carlos – and let's say that Mercedes decides to leave Lewis out. Well, okay. Lewis is now on a hard compound tyre with a few laps of worth of wear, but you got Charles in a Ferrari on brand new softs. You would expect him with enough laps that there were available once a safety car pulled in to, to get a pass done. I, I would have backed Charles all day long to get the, you know, to get the win in that scenario. So it does seem like a very curious decision. It wasn't like they were up against Max in a Red Bull you know they there was still an element that Ferrari was uh was, was uh, as competitive if not more competitive than Mercedes at points during that Grand Prix so yes yeah, it's, it's an odd one I mean you know his defense of of all his positions once the race restarted uh was admirable mighty I mean, he, oh, yeah mighty I mean, yeah great three-way battle between between Sergio Lewis and and uh and Charles really great, good fun. I mean, it, it got a little bit uh, robust at times, but there was no contact. Um, you know, it, we had Lewis managing to take two two places uh, in one corner at Club Corner, but then uh, Sergio fought back through the um, through the turns two three sequence. So. Uh, it was really good fun, and um, and great to see. And all the while, Carlos Sainz just was like, "Right, this is my chance. I'm off," and he <laughs> built
0: up another gap to to win the race. Rode I off thought. into the sunset. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I heard him say, "Hi, O oh, Silver," at some point. Yeah, it was it was really impressive. But I, we, uh, Perez de- deserves some credit. I mean, he did that. Was some clever, intelligent, fast racing on his part, and. The time that Hamilton got both Charles and uh, Perez, Perez made a mistake, ended up going off track. And that kind of forced Charles' position a little bit. Um, But Sergio got him right back. I mean, so the Red Bull car definitely still has a straight-line advantage. But still, Mercedes seemed mighty pacey. Just as you said, Hamilton did, in fact, get the fastest lap of the race.
1: What we're seeing is that the Mercedes is now getting closer to the... The ultimate pace of Ferrari and Red Bull, but it does it in a different way, and so there's some big pace disparities. And, and Red Bull is definitely still the quickest car in a straight line, and they they're using that to their advantage. But they're quick enough through the corners to to give themselves a chance on on the straight So uh, yeah, the, the Mercedes work to to get the W13 to be fully competitive is not yet done, but it's great, you know, to see them now, you know, making those strides, and uh, and that offers us the hope that you know as the season carries on that they will be able to compete at other tracks maybe not all tracks but some tracks and i think you know britain gave us a, a glimpse of how much fun it could be to have you know not just four but six cars competing for the win
0: yeah absolutely right um fernando alonso top five brilliant well, alonso
1: was even in that battle for a moment wasn't he he was he was getting yeah. a bit cheeky so uh, yeah the the alpine with its upgrades in alonso's hands was
0: working nicely and Norris finishing in the sixth, finishing in the top six, finishing sixth. And uh, Verstappen, he did end up getting seventh. Mick Schumacher scored his first points, and he was followed. He was followed by uh, Sebastian Vettel. So his mentor, effectively, watched Mick Schumacher trying to trying to pass Max Verstappen to grab some more points and there were some times that mick and max got awfully close to each other and you know i i bit my tongue i bit i was chewing on my teeth just a little bit at a couple of moments there
1: yeah vettel said that he was actually cheering Mick on from from his uh, pretty good view of, of that battle um, and yeah, it's fascinating isn't it so canada has had a uh, great qualifying and a, and a really awful race and as we talked about here uh, has had a terrible qualifying, and yet both cars are in the top 10 with uh, Mick right. in 8th and, and Magnussen in 10th. And, yeah, Mick getting his first ever F1 uh, championship points and uh, competing with the reigning world champion. So, yeah, good, good effort for them, from them. So, um, so, you know, exciting momentum and, and improvement. I mean, Mick uh, beating his teammate for once has got to be chalked up as a, as a win as well.
0: Yeah, and to get points in this way where he's battling, he's battling people. He doesn't get a point, he gets four. You know, it's a, it's a satisfying result for him. And, it, you know, beat his teammate in the process. Yeah, all all very good. And uh, we should say that uh, Lance Stroll was not too far behind Vettel either. So the Haas guys were 8th and 10th. The Aston Martin guys were ninth and 11th. And then it was Nicholas Latifi in 12th place. <laughs> under... I mean, not much more than 30 seconds behind the leader. Obviously, the safety car played a role in that, of course, but Nicholas Latifi in 12th place. How about, I mean, seriously, I mean, for, that is a proper result for him.
1: Well, and beating Daniel Ricciardo, who seems to have slipped back to his old bad habits of being terminally slow throughout the weekend. I mean, uh. yeah, I, I, Ricky was having a good couple of races there, but uh, for whatever reason, he couldn't get the, the McLaren to work around. Uh, Silverstone, So, yeah, he's still so inconsistent. And even when he's on, on a good weekend, he's not really that much quicker at all than Norris.
0: So He's uh, faster than... Uh, there's just something about this McLaren that doesn't work for him. He's faster than this. We all know he's faster than this. He's well, a race Norris, winner.
1: And Norris should have finished fifth, really. Uh, without the safety car, he would, have, he would have comfortably finished fifth. So, you know, the fact that Norris is, is finishing in the top five and Daniel is the second-to-last runner is really unbelievable, actually. You know, I mean, we know what a great racing... We've talked about this many times, but, you know, given his track record, it's, it's just it's just hard to believe that he's slipped to these depths
0: on occasion. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, absolutely right. Now, let's talk about uh, one of the DFs in particular, <laughs> because uh, the last runner was Yuki Tsunoda, and uh, the reason why uh, he's the last runner in part is because he took out his teammate. <laughs> I mean, it's just the, the it's the cardinal sin that everyone knows is the one you never never do. And on top of that, it's the it's the young driver taking out the established veteran. And on top of that, it was an obvious mistake. I mean, it, that was that was a bad move on Yuki's part.
1: Yeah, it was an odd one, wasn't it? Uh, never really looked on um you know he's been having a decent second season in formula 1 but that's that's blotted his copybook for sure yeah <laughs> as you said you don't take out your teammate uh so obviously uh, there
0: will have been some post race discussions <laughs> <laughs> yes so uh, w- i mean what were your big takeaways from this grand prix
1: well i think it's good you know we've seen carlos had some pretty woeful performances uh, early on and wasn't really We haven't sp-
0: even talked about that much have we? <laughs> we were going through all these other battles. Carlos yeah. Sainz won his first Grand Prix, 150 tries, he yeah. gets a win. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you for saying so, Jeez.
1: Yeah, I mean so you know, he's, he's, he's right at the ship. He's got a win. He, you know he's competitive against Max in, in Canada as well. Got a good strong second place there. So if this means that now he's got on top of his struggles uh, with this new the new regulations, then that's good news for Ferrari because maybe they'll have two contenders for the balance of the season. I mean, what they don't need to do is keep taking points off each other. I mean, I think they still need to get behind uh, Charles. I think he's still the better driver to uh, to maybe win the title, potentially. But, you know, having both drivers be able to take the fight to, to max and to a lesser degree uh, sergio i think it's good news for ferrari um, and they had no reliability issues um during the race so you know hopefully they've got on top of that issue as well um so maybe things are starting to look up for ferrari
0: yeah and uh you know so carlos signs with those 25 additional points he is fourth in the constructors championship right behind his teammate charles leclerc who's in third they i think he's have- in the
1: driver's championship <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, no, he he uh, he got um car transformative surgery. He's a he's a <laughs> constructor now <laughs> in the drivers' championship of course. Um ahead of Charles Leclerc there are 11 points between those two and then uh 9 points um separates Leclerc and uh Sergio Perez, uh, 138 to 147, but despite uh, Verstappen's uh small haul of points this time around he is still comfortably in the lead, well over a race win between him and anyone else.
1: That's right, and um, you know we still—it still looks like it's Red Bull's championship, constructors' championship to lose. But the the gap has uh, to Ferrari has come down. Mercedes are now over 200 points as well. So uh, um, you know, three those three teams are really uh, streaked away from the rest of the field. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: 328 for Red Bull, 265 for Ferrari, 204 for Mercedes, and then fourth in the constructors, McLaren, 73.
1: It does look like a McLaren-Alpine battle for uh, for fourth place now, though. It, it's really tightened Only up. Only six points
0: between them. That's right, yeah. Yeah,
1: um, yeah so I, I agree. Austria is probably going to favor Red Bull and Ferrari more than Mercedes. Um, but then we have the French Grand Prix Uh, following that so you know maybe maybe um, Lewis and George will have a chance there I mean the the record that everyone's talking about is Lewis's streak of race wins in every season that he's competed in and whether it's under threat well because he led laps at the British Grand Prix he has now had 16 seasons in a row where he has led a Grand Prix and that is a new record and I'm starting to feel a lot more positive that he may get a win at some point this season as well
0: yeah. And, you know, if lightning strikes in the right place, I think it'd be quite likely. Um it's interesting to see how to happen. Now, I'm curious to hear your take on this. So we're going to the Red Bull ring, but that is more that is not a huge power track. That's more of a handling track. Does this does this racetrack actually suit the Ferrari over the Red Bull?
1: Yeah, potentially. I mean that certainly seems to be you know, Ferrari does seem to have better pace through through the corners um, than than the Red Bull, um, but Red Bull have a better balance of, of pace on the straight and the corners. So, you know, Red Bull may you know they they brought upgrades to to Silverstone as we talked about, um, and they're constantly refining their car. So we'll have to wait and see. But it, yeah, you would think based on the season's performance so far that Ferrari might might actually have a performance advantage around the Red Bull Ring, but we shall have to find out.
0: Well, we are going to find out in just a few days' time. The Austrian Grand Prix is this coming weekend, July 8th through the 10th. Um, IndyCar, which we should say, by the way, congratulations to Scott McLaughlin for a fantastic win at Mid-Ohio. Um, you know, it might be worth talking about that for a couple of moments on the next podcast. That was a great race. But they're going to race the streets of Toronto um, July 17th. And then IMSA, um, same weekend. Um, and I don't think this is every all the classes. I think this is... M- this is kind of a touchdown classes, but they're racing at Lime Rock July 15th, 16th, IMSA is. So um, there's a lot of good racing coming up in just a short amount of time. And, of course, even before that, there is an extremely exciting event, and that is my latest YouTube video. I drove a, Chris, get this. You're never going to guess what I drove this time. <laughs> I think I might, but go on, tell us. Subaru Ascent. Onyx edition. Yes, right. Onyx edition, Chris. I made it happen. Wow. Um, What is that? It is an SUV that has three rows of seats. They didn't stop at one row. It's not a two-door or two-seater. They didn't stop at two rows. No, they added a third row in this thing, and there is storage behind that third row even. And this is crazy. Chris, check this out. You You can fold the seats down, so if you have fewer people, you have more space. Oh man, it's, this thing is crazy. Um, how did it handle? It 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 definitely. I went around corners, and uh, it definitely did do that. So, <laughs> cool.
1: Um, it's the. Is the price also in ascendancy? I mean, I'm assuming it's a 50k plus SUV. Is it with three rows? No,
0: it is. It is. It is better than that. The Onyx Edition is actually kind of in the middle in terms of in terms of price. It is a little bit more of the off-road friendly version of the Ascent, but the Ascent is very much your family SUV, big box store hauling kind of thing, road trip kind of thing. So it's not inherently your off-roady, but it does have 8.7 inches of ground clearance, and it does have a couple other extra bits like that. It does have what looks to be a strong uh, roof rail, though I did not test its weight capacity or anything. But, you know, it's, it's a perfectly fine SUV, a practical choice for a lot of reasons, and it, it does have that little, like, taste of Subaru, but it's actually the least distinctly Subaru car I've driven in a long time.
1: Is this another Toyota-based product, or is this a, a pure Subaru?
0: This is as, oh, you're, I'm, I'm, as far as I know, it's a pure Subaru. Yeah, it's not co-developed. It's not like it's not like a Highlander underneath or anything like that.
1: Does it have a flat-four boxer engine?
0: It does, sir. Okay. It does indeed. It has a turbocharged one of those. In fact, two point four liter, pumping out two hundred and sixty horsepower and two hundred and seventy-seven pound feet of torque. It then sends all that power through a continuously variable transmission, and yet, they claim with the CVT you can tow five thousand pounds with it. I, I'll admit, it makes me like you know touch queasy. You know, my old bones are like, I don't think CVTs can do that. But Subaru says theirs can.
1: Well, I mean, if the Subaru uh, can get you to your
0: son's uh, kindergarten and back,
1: maybe, maybe (laughs) it (laughs) can.
0: (laughs) Yes, that brand new Subaru is more reliable than my Audi A6 at the moment. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And do, please, please, please go check out those ads. Um, this is the last... It's the last time to do it uh, for the time being, and it would be super helpful to me. And uh, if it is successful enough, I will buy an entire case of warm beer for Christopher Roche.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Please, please get behind that. I'm Robin
0: Warner. (laughs) Goodbye.